originally from India. I'm in my third year of med school here in Colorado. I'm not married. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have pets. I don't even have a house plant. I honestly don't even have friends. So during my first two years of med school, I pretty much just went to class and lived in the library and went home. And that was about it. Whereas now I'm in the hospital for like 12 hours or more a day and it's really exhausting. But having said that, I'm really enjoying it in a way that I didn't enjoy the first two years because I feel like I'm doing what I came to med school to do. I'm really seeing patients. I'm able to feel like I'm making a difference in clinical care, but it can be challenging with my eating disorder specifically because if you're in the middle of a surgery, for instance, or if there is a patient crisis, just because it's my lunchtime or my snack time, well, too bad, so sad. I also struggle with, I guess, compulsive exercise, and I have been trying to continue to exercise to the level that I want to while being in the hospital from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. I then have to study and then make dinner and then try to sleep, but I'm not sleeping. And because of that, I feel like I've been burning my candle at both ends in terms of just like sleep deprivation, which I know some people do well at, and I, I don't. It's really hard to know when something like an eating disorder begins. It's not like I marked that one day in the calendar and voila, I had an eating disorder. It's one of those insidious processes where all of a sudden one day you wake up and you realize, wow, what is my life turned into? And what happened to my old life and the old me? I was about 10, 10 and a half. It was sort of the perfect storm of things coming together. My older sister was a senior in high school and I was going to start sixth grade at the time. She at the time had struggled with anorexia as well in a really severe case coupled with exercise addiction where she was exercising, you know, five, six hours a day. And she was also suicidally depressed. And so I had to witness multiple of her suicide attempts at that age. And that was really challenging. And my worst fear growing up, worse than my dying or, you know, nuclear war was that my parents would get divorced and they were pretty much on the brink of that. It was just horrible at the time. I think entering sixth grade was hard for me because, you know, puberty and those changes. But I think more than anything, I was just really severely bullied in terms of race. But I think most of all, I was bullied in terms of like being a nerd or being just different. So that was challenging. And then I think the final straw, at least that's what my family thinks, and I think that they might be right, is I went to summer camp and I got terrible food poisoning. I was already pretty skinny. And I think with the food poisoning, I couldn't keep anything down, not even water. And I ended up going from a skinny kid to losing a significant amount of weight. 
And after the food poisoning was resolved, I never really gained back the weight. And on top of that, I developed, I think, the beginning of like the exercise compulsion. And I think at that age, I was barely 11. I didn't really understand it or what drove me to want to move. But it almost felt like this primitive scarcity sort of brain kicking in where there is a famine. Maybe I need to move to get to the next place where I can eat. But that was never happening. At the time, one of the only eating disorder programs in the country that would even take children would accept me because I was so medically compromised. And this was in New Jersey at Princeton. And I was there for my 11th birthday. And I was there for, I think, eight weeks um, without any family, without any friends. And it was one of the most traumatizing challenging experiences for me because I was the only child and everyone else were adults. And I think, you know, hearing about other people's sexual trauma and stuff was really hard for me. I think I was a pretty protected child. I've written down certain things during that time, just so I would remember, you know, people don't realize that there's these little things that your body has that you just take for granted. For instance, I lost the very thin layer of lubrication that allows you to close and open your eyes. So I got like corneal abrasions and I wasn't able to fully close my eyes ever because that little bit of like fatty lubrication just was gone. I had persistent tinnitus, which is like a ringing in my ears. I would say the worst complications though are the ones that it's taken on my life and emotionally and relationships. The physical ones are definitely still there and I still live in quite a bit of pain from the physical ones, but I think the pain doesn't compare to the emotional ones. I think part of the reason why I have so many intimacy and lack of friend problems is that I think I'm developmentally still eleven because while I did great academically and I was able to, you know, get through school and all of that stuff, I physically and emotionally feel really regressed and handicapped in some ways. And I just have spent, unfortunately, the majority of my life since my diagnosis in treatment or in the hospital. I'm so used to being trapped, both within my head and within the confines of treatment centers or hospitals that when I leave, I almost feel like a jailed patient that needs to take advantage of cramming everything possible into parole time because it's only a matter of time before I'm going to go back in. At different times, different things have felt helpful. I um, write in a gratitude journal every day. I use like essential oils. I do affirmations. I visualize. I've read gosh, hundreds of eating disorder books. I don't think it's a lack of knowledge. And I don't think it's a lack of insight. I think it's a lack of action because I truly believe that you can't think your way out of a disorder you behaved your way into. Because I think if I had then I would have been recovered a long time ago. And I think that 
a lot of people with eating disorders are really smart, but that doesn't mean that they can recover. And the longer you have it, the harder it is to give up because one, the only semblance of your life is the eating disorder. There are pretty much no relationships, no other opportunities. It, it just becomes more and more narrowed and defined by the eating disorder. But two, it just becomes your new normal, your new homeostasis. And I know change is hard for everyone, but I think it's particularly hard for people with eating disorders. It's sort of like that habit energy and the inertia that keeps you more stuck. But more than anything, I believe my eating disorder is fear. Like just screaming, paralyzing, irrational fear. Meditation has helped a great deal, but I often go to bed at night feeling really frustrated with myself and discouraged and feeling like I'm never going to recover. I've had so many providers tell me that I'm a chronic refractory case and that I'm going to die from this. And I think that just the longer this continues, the more I start to believe it and the more I go back into places of depression around it. I think in terms of what motivates me, I want to believe, even though I increasingly don't, <laughs> that one day I can still have really intimate, close connections and friends, that one day I can get married, that one day I can have a family of my own. My parents motivate me, my siblings motivate me. Honestly, all of the providers I've had who've held on to that hope for me, motivate me on some maybe narcissistic level. I feel like if I recover, hopefully when I recover, I can make a difference in the world and I can leave a meaningful impact. I've been through experiences with my own illness where I could give back when I recover to people. A lot of physicians don't understand what it's like. But I do think I can give back to patients in a way that's different because I think I understand human suffering on a different level and I understand what it means to be sick. I understand what it means for families. I understand what it means for the loved one. I understand what it means to be in the hospital. I understand what getting tubes and IVs and all sorts of treatments done is like. I, I get that. You know, when doctors tell you like, oh, I understand. Sometimes I wonder, do you intellectually understand or do you like emotionally understand? I think I could empathize with patients in a different way rather than maybe sympathizing with them. So I think that motivates me.